welcome to uh, the worship service for Maundy Thursday at Cordova Church of the Nazarene. Um, would you pray with me? Almighty Father, whose dear Son, on the night before He suffered, instituted the sacrament of His body and blood, mercifully grant that we may receive it thankfully in remembrance of Jesus Christ our Lord, who in these holy mysteries gives us a pledge of eternal life, and who now lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Our Old Testament reading today is from Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord." The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Psalm 78 and 14. In the daytime he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved, they spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the wa rock so water gushed out, and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread and provide meat for his people? Yet he commanded the skies above, and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat, and gave them grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you sing with us? Come, ye sinners, poor and needy. 
Testament reading uh, is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 32. For I received from the Lord what I have delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant for my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Whoever, therefore, eats the bread of, or drink, drinks the cup of the Lord is an unworthy, or in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let this person, or let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we, if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. For when we are judged by the Lord, we are discipled, so that we may not be condemned along with the word, world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. gospel reading is from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 14. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you will have no share of me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you ought also to wash each other's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You're the one that 
Where sin runs deep, your grace is more, where grace is found, is where you are, where you are, Lord, I am free, holiness is Christ in passage that we read. Paul, uh, this is a, a really stunning, uh, remarkable um, part of Paul's letters um, in which he's, he's most of the way through what he wants to say to the Corinthians. He begins to speak to them about the way that they're worshiping. And 
Um, and says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. And that might not seem like a, um, an especially important statement on first reading. But when you think about it, what it means is that the words that Paul is about to tell uh, to the Corinthians are, are in fact the words that he received from Christ and from the deposit of faith, from the, from the earliest disciples and apostles, who said, this is, from the, for those of us who were at that table, this is what we remember. This is what we all remember and have passed on. Um, 1 Corinthians was actually written before any of the Gospels were written, which means that Paul is passing on to the Corinthians and through them to us one of the most, one of the earliest traditions in the Christian church, a tradition that predates the writing of any of the Gospels. He didn't have Mark or Luke to go back to and say, well, what did Jesus say while he was at that table? He's telling the story as he's known it to be told by those who are there. And when he does, um, he speaks to them, and, and, and we see it as prescriptive, as kind of um, telling us how we ought to celebrate at the table, and we're right to do that. But Paul is addressing problems in Corinth. And so he says, he has this, this phrase, um, that we ought to discern the body. Um, ah, there it is in verse 29. <laughs> For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And there, there's some argument about what that means to discern the body. But we know that Cor the Christians in Corinth are dealing with two primary issues. The first is that they're dealing with idolatry. If you look in chapter 8, if you look in chapter 10, it's pretty clear uh, that there are those in the church at Corinth who, who believe that they can worship Jesus Christ alongside the other idols that are present in their world. That they can just kind of take Jesus and, and worship him when it's time to worship Jesus, but the rest of the time they'll worship and pay homage to whatever gods um, sort of suit them most. And so there's idolatry going on. And that idolatry has actually caused and resulted in a disunity. And it's not just the idolatry. It, just so happens that the idolatry is sort of split along class lines so that the people who are committing idolatry, who are worshiping at these other idols, who are eating food that's been sacrificed to them, are doing so because they're at some sort of business meeting that's taking place at the idol's temple. Meanwhile, those Christians in the community who are poor, who don't get invited to those parties, who don't get invited to those meetings, those Christians who are working most of the day, barely able to get off of work in time to come to the worship service, they're cut out the full experience of Christian worship. What would happen there 
in Corinth is that the Christians would gather and food was always a part of their gathering. I mean, you've been in churches like this. Our church is often like this. It's like you show up and there's just food and nobody knows where it came from. Just kidding. It came from Rosalie. But uh, there just happens to be food that's sort of present there at the table. But the poorer Christians, those who may have worked as slaves, by the time they showed up, everybody had already eaten. And so you had disunity and brokenness and division beginning to take place in the community. It was along social and economic lines. It was also along some doctrinal lines. And Paul has to deal with this in this group of believers. But he's got a problem. Because the very thing that ought to be binding them together, the Lord's Supper, is the thing that's dividing them. The very thing that ought to be bringing unity is actually the thing that has separated them. It's so important and it's so uniting that it's become the sort of crux that has broken them. The problem is all bound up in the solution. I used to uh, have to do exercises for my knee when I was in high school because I'd be playing basketball and my knee would give out. And so I'd have to spend a couple weeks on crutches and then I was supposed to spend, you know, three, six, 12 weeks, whatever it was, doing these rehab exercises, getting my knee strong again. And there were kind of three things that I could do. Uh, The first is that I could just do nothing. And if I did nothing, the muscle around the knee would atrophy. It would kind of get so weak because I wasn't using it. I'm not, I'm not putting any weight on it. Um, and so that muscle just gets weaker and weaker and weaker. The other thing that I could do is I could do the exercises that they gave me, but I could do them wrong. And if I did those exercises wrong, I would actually damage and hurt the joint more than it was, um, hurt it more than it was at the beginning. Or I could take those exercises and I could do them properly. I could do them in the right amount. I could do them with the right intensity. Not when my knee was tired and worn out. And and this is, for me, this image has really sort of unlocked Paul's conundrum here. Because here they are doing something wrong that is breaking, that is dividing and disuniting their church. But rather than saying, hey, stop celebrating the Lord's Supper, rather than going the way of saying, okay, you're doing this thing wrong and it's hurting you more, therefore just don't do it at all. He doesn't do that. To do that would mean that the muscles around this community would atrophy and they would begin to lose the ability to worship in the way that they are meant to worship. And so instead he prescribes an exercise This is how you ought to celebrate. You need to do it right. And so when we come to the table, and this is Maundy Thursday, it's it's the day that the church remembers the Lord's Supper. It's the day that we look to that last supper um, that Jesus ate with his disciples. And the word Maundy doesn't mean, I always thought it meant Monday. It doesn't mean Monday. It's not Monday, Thursday. It's Maundy, Thursday. It's from an old word like mandate that means command because Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, right? He commands them 
to do this thing. So that's where we get the word mandi. But Jesus and Paul both want their disciples, their followers, their churches to do it right. And so we don't just come to this table willy-nilly, and this time of us being separated has really brought that out. There's a couple boundaries that we place around this meal. The one is that we entrust these sacraments to those who are ordained. And that's not a way of saying that those who are ordained have some power that others don't have. It's just a way of saying, hey, we know that you've been put through the ringer. We know that you're invested in this in one way or another and that you've been entrusted with something important. And so we're going to pass this on to you so that you can pass it on to the churches. But it's not in everybody's hands because if it's in everybody's hands, then pretty soon it becomes corrupted. It's got nothing to say about those who are ordained being special or better. It's merely a statement about the importance of the, of the thing itself, of the meal. But we also only celebrate this with bread and with what we call fruit of the vine, whether that is wine or we always use unfermented wine, grape juice. Okay, And the reason for that, there's a couple reasons for it. The one is that's what Jesus used. Okay, Jesus did not use, um, you know, apple juice. He didn't use water. Uh, when he celebrated this supper, it was wine. It was a cup that was a part of the Passover meal. And so we don't bring it. It's not orange soda. It's not just anything that we want to try to stand in that place. But we're doing what we can to follow after Christ. The same with the bread. The other reason for that, and the reason that I think often is forgotten, is that in the ancient world, bread and wine, bread and the fruit of the vine, those were just about the most common things that you could find. Water wasn't always safe to drink, but wine, because of the alcohol, was. And so you would have bread and wine nearly everywhere. So the interesting thing is, though, even though we place boundaries about this table because it's so important, we also make sure that it is the most common elements so that nobody is cut off because of poverty, or because of lack of access to the elements. The other thing that's especially become evident and that we kind of demand is presence. That we be present in the body with one another. And like Cody said in our Sunday worship service, this is in part because if we're consecrating these elements, it's important that we know, you know what's on the other side. That we know that these are elements that have truly been consecrated to the Lord, that they are that bread and that fruit of the vine, and that this is received in good faith. And that has to do with what Paul has to say next. He says, let a person examine himself, or excuse me, verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And this is, this is really key. We have used this phrase, and, and it's not totally wrong, but we've used this phrase to say that you've got to examine your heart. You need to make sure that you've confessed your sin. Um, 
And in fact, some have taken this so far as to create a kind of, uh, the big word is scrupulosity. It's like, I'm so worried about my sin, my scruples are so high, right, that I'm not going to actually go to the table because I'm afraid that maybe I've got some unconfessed sin. And friends, that is, that is exactly the opposite of what this table is for. This table is here for the forgiveness of your sins. It's not a gold star on the forehead of those who are holy. It's medicine for all of us who are sick. And so if you have some sin that weighs on you or you're worried that there's something that you have not confessed because you can't remember it, don't worry. Everybody who's invited to this table is invited to come and partake because the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is so fully present in it. What does Paul mean when he says receiving in an unworthy manner or discerning the body? All of these things are bound up. I'm convinced that the body that he's talking about is, in fact, the body of our Lord, the body of Christ. Remember, Paul's concern in Corinth is division and brokenness in the church. It's groups that are set over here and over here, and and in their division, they not only are set against each other, they not only corrode one another's faith, but they use the very gifts of God to do so, so that those who are rich are eating while those who are poor continue to starve. I think what Paul means when he says discerning the body is to understand clearly that as we come to this table, we are called, we are enfolded in, we are brought into the very body of Christ. And as such, we're called to be made one with one another. It's why we eat from one piece of bread and one cup. Because we are called into oneness and unity. There's also one more piece here, a statement that he makes that is just so unintentionally, you know, on point, (laughs) on the nose for our time, where he says, oh, verse 30, that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. And this is one of those statements that I think was knowledge that was given to Paul about Corinth. We don't know what he means. We don't know what illness he's talking about. We don't know what death he's talking about. But there's something going on in the church of Corinth where there's a lack of health, there's a lack of vitality, there's a lack of life. And and I don't think, um, I certainly don't think that, you know, we are facing um, some judgment here uh, in terms of our own separation from one another. I don't think that the coronavirus is a judgment of God. It's Instead, I think we ought to focus on the ways that when we continue to come to the table, being okay with division, being okay with unconfessed sin, being okay with, fa- with factions and, and our own participation in the destruction of the unity of Christ's body, that ultimately has an effect even on our own spiritual lives. 
And that effect can spill over into physical realities. We can be those who suffer from kind of afflictions of the spirit, acedia, this kind of heaviness of the soul or the spirit or weakness or powerlessness in our prayer or even fear of those who we ought not to be fearful of. But the solution, remember, is not to stay away from this table. The solution is to practice it rightly. The solution is to look to Christ who says, this is my body, this is my blood. This is the power of God's word to restore reality as we come into this kind of holiest of times of, of, of the Christian year. We ought to be reminded that all of the brokenness in our world happened because somebody ate from a tree. And so we should be reminded that as Christ comes to restore all of reality, what is it that he brings? He brings a meal for us to eat and a tree on which our sins are forgiven. We come to this table serious and yet joyful because we know that in these gifts, God has restored, God has brought that grace, and God sends us out into the world to communicate that grace to others as well. I'm going to walk us through um, our regular communion liturgy, and I'm going to provide some commentary along the way. Um, so I hope you're, you, can, you can sort of stick with us here. And what I really hope is that as, as we come into this moment, that you begin to see and to recognize how the liturgy that we've been given by the church, this, this liturgy, we didn't write it, we didn't invent it. It comes to us from the Church of the Nazarene. And yet these, these words tie us into all Christians everywhere and into the very mission of God in our lives and in the world. So would you listen to these words with me? At the beginning of our um, communion supper, whoever is celebrating puts on a stole. And um, the purpose of the stole, it's actually, it's a reminder of authority. Uh, it's to be worn by those who are ordained, who have been entrusted with this gift. Um, and and ultimately, it's it's like a yoke, right? It's like... When I put on the stole, it's like I'm an oxen. I'm a cow putting on a yoke because I have to pull this thing in the field. right? I put it around my neck as a way of saying, God, I'm here to do your work. It's not my work. It's not my words. It's not, I'm not here for me anymore. I'm here to do the job that you give me. That ought to be all of life. That ought to be all of worship. And yet, you know, we sort of see it most clearly here. So I put on the stole, and then I say, the communion supper instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a sacrament. It is a gift of God given through these very common things, bread and the cup, which proclaims his life, his sufferings, his sacrificial death and resurrection, and the hope of his coming again. It shows forth the Lord's death until his return. I'm reminded in this time especially that 
when we say, um, when we celebrate this meal, that Jesus is the one who said, I won't eat this meal again with you until I come. I know that for so many of us, it's painful to be separated from it. It's, it's painful to be separated from this table. And yet, where is our Lord now? Jesus himself, although he gives himself to us in this meal, is not there to eat it with us. We can participate in that same kind of patience alongside our Lord. The supper is a means of grace. It is a way in which God gives His grace to us, in which Christ is present by the Spirit. This is the Trinitarian thing that's here in the table. You're going to see later. I'm going to pray a prayer. We don't believe that these become the body and blood of Christ because I say magic words. We believe that they become the body and blood of Christ because God is gracious to fulfill His promises, and He's promised in His Word that that's what He would do. It is to be received in reverent appreciation and gratefulness for the work of Christ. All those who are truly repentant, forsaking their sins, and believing in Christ for salvation are invited to participate in the death and resurrection of Christ. We say this every week, and I think for a lot of us, because we've heard it, it just sort of washes over us. All those who are repentant, who have forsaken their sins, and believed in Christ for salvation, are invited to come and eat. Those are the requirements. That you have a heart that says, I don't want to be united with my sin anymore. Instead, I want to be, I want to be united with you, Lord. We come to the table that we may be renewed in life and salvation and be made one by the Spirit. And then I remove the linens. And that's, that's maybe an interesting thing. These are linen. Um, why does that matter? Well, what was Christ's body buried in? In linen. And so it's a reminder of the fact that just like Christ's body was wrapped in linen after his death, we see here his body before us. Holy God, we gather at this your table in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christ healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners, established the new covenant for forgiveness of sins. We live in the hope of his coming again. This paragraph beautifully is a sort of shortening, a compression of the gospel. That this is who Jesus Christ was. This is what he did in his ministry. We ought to have that at the forefront of our mind as we come to eat on the night in which he was betrayed. He took bread, gave thanks, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to his disciples, and said, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of our faith. And this is something that we all say together as a church. You ready? Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again.
This statement is what we believe. It's what enables this meal. It's both historical, what has happened, and it's also future, what will happen. Where does that put us? Directly in the center. Holding together those two things in our lives, living out the evidence of Christ's death and resurrection, and living out the hope of His return. And so, and this, this is the prayer. And so we gather as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us, the church, and on these, your gifts. Make them by the power of your Spirit to be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world until Christ comes in final victory. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That prayer, both for the Spirit to fall on these elements, on these gifts, but then also to fall on us, the church, to make us one, to unite and empower and send us into mission and ministry in the world is the core of this liturgy, of this worship, of this celebration. When we come to the table, it's not merely for our own forgiveness, but it's so that we might be sent into the world to proclaim that good news to others. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Why the Lord's Prayer? Well, simply because it's the Lord's. <laughs> because when his disciples asked him how, he, how they ought to pray, this was the prayer that he gave them. Everything that we can pray rightly is caught up in that prayer. And so we come to the table pray with those words on our lips, putting Christ in our mouths what we speak so that we might also put Christ in our mouths in the way that we eat. But I want to call your attention to the phrase, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. It's so easy for us to get centered on our own forgiveness that we forget that this actually calls us to seek out and to provide forgiveness to those who have wounded us. It's the only way for the church to be one. I'm now going to receive on your behalf, not because I want to be separated from you, but because I so deeply want you to be here. Because in whatever way I can, just as I hope you represent me to God in your prayer, I want to represent you to the Lord in this worship. This is the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken and shed for you. Preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Receive this in remembrance that Christ died for you 
and be thankful. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Would you close with me in prayer? Lord God in heaven, you have been so good not to leave us in our sin, but to provide a way through, to make a way that we might come to you and worship you in these common things of bread and the cup. And even beyond that, Lord God, you have given us the church to be made one with, so that in being made one with the church, we might be made one with you. Would you continue that work by your spirit today, we pray, even as we are separated. We know that you are not caged in by our physical distance. Enable us to proclaim, to preach to the world that you have died, that you are risen, and that you will come again. We look forward, hopefully and expectantly, to that day when we will eat this meal with you in your kingdom. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Go in peace.